Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Hello, 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 and welcome back to our podcast. So good to have you here. You who are listening in from one of 70, over 70 countries. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you for your listenership and for your commitment to give us attention, right? So far, you've given us, I don't know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And we don't, we don't take this lightly because in this day and age, you could be hopping around many things, right? So just want to let you know, dear listener, if you're back, if you're back listening to this episode, I promise you some value, some insight that hopefully will add to shifting your perspective around this so-called disorder ADHD and other mental disorders, but we focus on ADHD. By shifting your perspective, I don't mean giving you tips and strategies. That's in the area of coping. That is not what we do. There's enough of that out there. If that satisfies you or has satisfied you as an ADHD family and you're happy or thriving, then great. Awesome. You may still get some value, but if you're thriving or you think you're thriving inside of coping, then let that be your jam for now. What we invite our listeners to uh, shift their perspective around is that there is no thriving in coping. You're either coping, which means you have hope that what you're doing, the external uh, resources that you're using to quote unquote fix your child's problem, you hope that that's working. So that's coping. It's really hoping. Thriving is where you just take the bull by the horns, which means every area of your life, you got it in your hands, you're powerfully responsive for all the areas in your lives, in your family's life, and you are moving forward, creating a future that does not involve dependency on any kind of medication or just dependency on external circumstances, people, therapies, and so forth. And again, we're not saying therapies and other like supplements, uh, things like that don't work. They all, they all work. They all have a little bit of a, you know, they're moving the needle a bit, but that's still inside of coping. That's still getting a prettier bandaid on the wound, you know, like a star Wars themed bandaid on your wound versus actually really, really dissecting the wound and really seeing what caused it and then healing it from the inside out. And that's where we come in. That's what we're committed to. So if that's a camp you're in, if you're like, I'm on the fence and I want to be in camp thriving, I don't want to stay in camp coping, welcome. Perfect podcast for you. If you're okay coping, not a problem. We wish you the best. Maybe return in the future. It's okay. There's no right or wrong. You got to trust your gut. It's your family you got to rock it that way. Okay, so uh, let's get into it. First of all, a, a big thank you to our support partner, Boku Superfood. Locally produced here in Ojai, California, Boku Superfood is family owned and these guys have created some amazingly organic, powerful products for your brain and body to thrive. I recommend you check out Boku, B-O-K-U, BokuSuperfood.com. Look at the products. And if you're into some of the products, send me a note, you know, through ADHD's over. Uh, send us a note and we'll hook you up with a discount, a personal VIP discount. But I can tell you from my personal use, their proteins, the green powder, red powder, superfoods, um, man, puts a little bounce in my step, you know, almost a bit like having coffee, but I'm no longer drinking coffee, at least for now. And I feel really fresh and clean and I can focus a bit better. So I know some of you are thinking, oh, so you are admitting that you have a focus problem. So technically you do have ADHD, but you say there's no ADHD. That's a longer conversation. I don't have ADHD. Nobody has the thing called ADHD because it was made up. The term is made up. So hence you can't have it. 
you can have symptoms that we've labeled as ADHD. Yes. And I know this is splitting atoms, especially in the department of language, but that's very important. If this is your first episode, know that we will be splitting lots of these atoms in the area of language. What words to use to describe yourself or your symptoms to people in your life so that you can thrive and you're not labeling yourself with something that you've been sold that would actually give you benefits if you joined the victimhood and you had pity parties around ADHD. We just call bullshit on that because there's no power in that. So anyway, let's rock it. Let's get into it. Today's episode is called, and by the way, if you hear a noise, for some reason, my laptop has been really loud, the fan on my laptop. So I apologize ahead of time. I'm going to do what I can to remedy that. But in the meantime, let's get going. Today's episode is called Compulsory Compliance Disorder, CCD. Does it exist? I don't think so. We made it up. Why did we make this up? Well, short answer, first of all, for a little tongue-in-cheek fun, right? I mean, if they the medical or the psychiatric world can just make up disorders, well, then we can too, right? Why is this a disorder, you may say? What is compulsory compliance disorder? Well, let's, let's kind of look it up. I looked up some of the definition, right? So for example, compulsory means mandatory, enforced, and compliance means and you're probably, you know, it's, it's kind of an easy guess, right? But I just wanted to read you the definition. Conformity in fulfilling official requirements. So it's kind of two things, right? You're getting a requirement, compulsory, and then you're in compliance of it. You are fulfilling that requirement, okay? So then what is this thing called compulsory compliance disorder, you may say? Roman, tell us, what is it? Okay, I believe... I'm a very firm believer that by literally forcing our children into a square block, you know, we take these unique shaped blocks. Uh, I'll take that back. We take a unique shaped block and we force them into these square. Yeah, we take it back again. Okay. We're taking these unique shaped pegs and we're forcing them into square holes, the education system. And we are expecting them to fulfill these requirements, right? The compliance of the compulsory, right? So in other words, we are expecting these unique children to do what we tell them to do inside of this box called education system. Now, the disorder that I've coined, compulsory compliance disorder, you could say is a disorder that I think we're creating because we're essentially forcing our children into, we're squeezing these uniquely shaped pegs into these square, square holes. And if it doesn't fit, here's what we do. We shoehorn them in. What's the shoehorn? Well, usually it ends up being medication, stimulant drugs that children get. So they will actually do what we tell them to do at school, even though they intuitively know that a lot of what we're still teaching them is outdated, that they do need to move their bodies more than they're allowed to in a classroom setting in most public schools, right? So they know, they can smell it. I call it BS. Dr. Bruce Lipton said so wonderfully, BS stands for belief system, right? They can smell the outdated belief system, the BS, the baloney stinks, right? But what do we do? We go, well, you don't know. You're too young. I'm an adult. I know what's good for you, even though I don't really fucking know you. I know what's good for you because you're supposed to learn this and that's going to send you on your way onto the Ivy League track where you can get a great position in life have an amazing career that brings in tons of money. And what else do you want? That's called happiness. Next, that's how this system works. How come our system works that way? Well, let's look at this. Okay, so we got all these kids to educate, right? Because we say, here's a school system. That's the best way to educate human, little human beings to become, uh, you know, essentially productive members of society. It's a term I hear often and it makes me gag, but I get it, right? We want productive members of society. 
So what do we do? Well, we create a, a, a system, the school system, right? Comes from the, uh, essentially from the uh, industrial age uh, need to um, educate and, and train workers that can work in a factory, that can show up on time. And by the way, did you know that, why do kids have to be at school at eight or 8.30 or even nine? That was not really a scientifically or medically backed up uh, fact that if your children are up early in the morning and they go to school early, that's actually better for them. No, that's more of the BS, the belief system. What's so is that parents needed to, quote unquote, get rid of their children for the day while they went to work and their work started early at nine o'clock. So they had to drop off their children at eight or eight thirty. So it just made sense to say, well, why don't we start schools early in the morning? Perfect. But actually, if, if we naturally let our kids play, go to bed when they're tired and have them wake up when they wake up, we would discover that, oh boy, we are way, 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 way far off. And then we have experts say, yeah, but the best sleep is between these and these and these hours. No, I'm sorry, but human beings know how to regulate themselves, even at a younger age. Sure, maybe at the beginning when a baby is born, right? There's a lot to handle, a lot to manage. That might not be the best time to, although we are kind of, uh, you know, you could say uh, subjects to their sleep schedule. And some kids, as you know, from, from knowing probably many babies like I have and still know friends that have babies, they're all different sleep schedules. And nobody says you should be sleeping here and go to bed here and get up here and nap here. So what we've created essentially, I know it took a little sleep detour, but we've created eventually a system that isn't really meant to honor the individual. Let me say that again. The systems we've created in the world, such as the education system and the work schedule system and many other systems, are not optimal for the uniqueness of all beings. They are optimal to create a quote-unquote normal or standard human being so that we can all dance to this normal or standard tune of life. And here's the thing, guys. Let's look around the world. I mean, is everything amazing? Is everyone thriving? No. Do we have wars? Yes. Do we have suicide, homicide, deaths, you know, uh, sickness, uh, poverty? Yes. Okay. Well, you know, if there's that much upheaval in the world, and most people would agree that we could do better, um, wouldn't it make sense to uh, essentially take a scalpel and just slice through all the systems and go, where are we just still doing shit that doesn't work? Yes. Wouldn't that make sense? I think so. So the education system is one of them. You know, reform is definitely needed. Parenting needs a reform in general one of the most undervalued, under, I don't want to say understudied, but there is just so much disagreement around parenting and is the one, number one, most important thing in the world because we're raising the future. How we raise our children is what the future is going to look like, right? So education system, parenting, even the way we work, money, how communities relate to each other, there's so many systems that need to be reformed. And one of the biggest one, and that's why I do what I do, is psychiatry. There is this general belief that disorders just sort of happen, whether it's genetic or you're just unfortunate, unlucky, you got this disorder, sorry, nothing you can do, nothing you can do, we can tell you what to do, you can take this pill, or you listen to this guy, or work with this person. Everything that we're told, most, I'll take that back, I don't want to generalize, most of the coping strategies we're told are external, not internal. When I talk to people, and I talk about internal work, and first dealing with everything in our lives and our families and cleaning up there first before using any external like sources, people look at me like, what? What does that have to do with a disorder that's genetic or chemical imbalance or, you know, well, that's not the full truth. And I'm here to say again, and you can listen to the last episode we did with Dr. Bruce Lipton, there is no ADHD gene. ADHD is not genetic. It is epigenetic, meaning we have control 
over our environment, hence our environment turns on and off our genes. And so even if there was an ADHD gene, we could still control it. We could still, and there's studies done, that prove clearly that when we change our environment, and with environment, we mean everything around us and in us, inside of us. When we optimize our environment for our nervous system to stop constantly being in survival mode, we can actually dissolve any symptom of any mental disorder, period. I'll say it again. When we optimize our environment around us, when we, quote unquote, remove all friction, now it's never going to be all, right? But when we do the work to remove as much friction out of our environment so that our nervous system stops constantly being in survival mode, we can dissolve all symptoms of all mental disorders, period. I strongly believe that. Is it going to be easy? No. Can in, you know, in transition, can the use of, of medication or the use of other strategies work? Sure. We never say don't use any of it. We say it's not the answer and it's not the cure. So when you take medication for six months because you need to, because your child is, is really super hyperactive and very impulsive at school, and it's the only school you have available, and let's say you're a single mother, single parent, and but you're in the process of changing a lot of these things and working on making money so you can provide, you know, all that's Yes, of course, use what you need to use. But what we say is none of these external sources are ever going to be, in the long run, the cure. And if you're in the coping camp and you say, well, I know it's not a cure, there's no cure for ADHD, but at least I can live and cope and manage and my, my son or daughter can eventually find a good job and have a good life. Well, that's the coping camp. Again, we do not believe that we have to cope forever. It's also not proven the studies are really leaning towards one fact, that you do not have ADHD for life. Now, because first of all, you can't have the thing called ADHD because it's made up, but even the symptoms, you do not have them for life unless you choose to, you want to, or you are powerless and you think there's nothing I can do. Yes, then you will have them for life. What I'm here to say is symptoms can be dissolved. They can be dissolved if the right work is done, if the person wanting to dissolve their symptoms is open to the fact that when that person, including the parent, so they're handing this energetically down to the child, is doing their deep work, trauma work, past nervous system attack repair, PTSD kind of work. You know, we usually relate you know, we think of PTSD as like, oh, that's for soldiers that come back from the war. No, post-traumatic stress happens with any traumatic stress. For a newborn, a traumatic stress can be a rough birth. For a young child, a traumatic stress can be an alcoholic parent who yells. For a child, a traumatic stress can be a divorce. We don't know what kind of stress People always get bent out of shape when I say trauma. Everyone has trauma. Get the fuck over it. We all have trauma. Moving on. So I'll use the word stress, though, for the sensitive ones. We can't say what kind of stress causes what kind of child's nervous system to go into hypervigilance survival mode. We can't. We pretend we do. We, could, we try to normalize children and say, well, eight out of ten children uh, don't eat this, and uh, seven out of five children, or five out of seven <laughs> Fuck that. That's the normalizing standard bullshit that we're doing, trying to squeeze these irregularly shaped, unique pegs into square holes. We got to stop that because we don't know what kind of stress will cause what kind of child to start to show symptoms of what we call mental disorders because that's where we need to do the work. We need to be investigators, detectives into our own past, into our own traumas, our family history, our ways of parenting that we've inherited from our parents. 
because sometimes when parents talk to me, I ask them, where did you learn your parenting? And I keep a straight face and they're like, what do you mean? And the answer behind what you mean is like, of course, from my parents. Yes. How did they do? How did they turn out? Really? Right. And not to blame parents and grandparents and grand grandparents. Everyone does the best they can. But we now have so much information available to us that it just breaks my heart when I see parents stop at medication. And trust me, I've talked to many families in the recent even two months. I've probably talked to a dozen families who are dealing with ADHD or the diagnosis. They're all on the fence. So they call me or they call a friend of mine and they say, call Roman. He's got all this research, right? And I talk to them. And they all say the same thing, that it didn't take long for either a uh, teacher, principal, psychologist, someone to say, you should put your child on meds. It didn't take more than one or two meetings. All of them have said that. All of them. Again, we're not anti-meds. Some of our experts are that we've interviewed. I get that. I appreciate and respect their stand. We're not anti-meds. But we are anti-meds being sold as either the cure or the most effective coping mechanism or even as the only thing that works, right? So that we are anti because we have enough evidence, we have enough studies and statements from experts to say that that is not the full pictures. Parents should have the full picture. Not even talking about the effects, the side effects that some of these drugs can have. I'll let you read up on that if you're into that. Mad in America is a great resource, a website by Robert Whitaker, who is also on our podcast. Another great resource is the work of Peter Bregan, B-R-E-G-G-I-N. He will be on our podcast in May. Um, there's many sources. There's many, many, many experts out there that will talk gladly talk about the side effects of stimulant drugs. Now, that's a bit like a roulette, like a right crapshoot. Your child may be fine, or some children have died or have, and that's the worst case, but, you know, have had serious side effects. And we have some of those stories, again, also on our podcast. So anyway, that was a side note, because I just want you to know, we're not anti-meds. But when parents are sold this incomplete narrative, it's not a false story, it's not bullshit, it's just incomplete. When, when scientific studies have been cherry-picked, to favor the big corporations, the pharma or the big psychiatric conglomerates or the, the support, you know, uh, groups around ADHD. When that's cherry picked, I have a problem with that. You got to give me the full truth. And that's why we started this podcast. So back to compulsory compliance disorder. What essentially is happening here when we try to force our kids into these square systems, into these boxes, and we medicate them, we are creating a new disorder that I'd like to call compulsory compliance disorder. We are creating little human beings that are going to grow up to be adults that are externally referenced, meaning they cannot trust their own intuition, their own gut feeling, which is, by the way, the most important thing to have to stay. When we say stay true to yourself, you know, stand up for what you believe well, you can't stand up for what you believe if you don't trust your own gut feeling because you're, what's, what's going to end up happening is you're going to be standing up for something that you believe because of someone who you believe should be believed has said so, which is not your own gut feeling. And the issue is that we're creating a whole generation of children that are going to be adults that are not going to know really who they are, what they actually want to do moment to moment in life. They're always going to look to the outside for advice, for strength. They're going to be the kind of people, and I mentioned this before, I apologize if I repeat myself, but it's such a great example. You know, when you go to lunch with your friends and there's that one friend who looks around the table and everyone's decided, they're like, I don't know what to get. What, what are you getting? You know, what, what, what do you think? What are you getting? What should I get? Right? That's an externally referenced person. Now, this is not a term I'm using. It's, it's potentially used by other uh, fields. Uh, I'm just using it to give you a, a quick uh, a visual 
externally referenced, meaning you look to the outside to reference, right? You go, what should I eat? And look, these are little tiny things that we go, well, it's no big deal. It's somebody who, yeah, they don't like to decide on what to get for lunch. They, yeah, whatever. But it is a big deal. It's a big, 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 big deal because I guarantee you in their lives, that doesn't just show up there. And so essentially we, we become dependent people and there's no, there's no mistake uh, why we use even in, in drug use or drug abuse, we use the word dependency because stimulant drugs can make us dependent. And I know the uh, uh, pharma and the psychiatric community uh, tends to say, no, 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 these stimulant drugs aren't, aren't causing dependency. Well, here's the thing. There's two types of dependencies. There's the body, right? Where suddenly your body in the case of uh, meth or uh, other drugs where your, your body needs to have it or you just, you're going nuts, right? It's a body dependency. And look, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but I just want to make a point here that with, in the case of stimulant drugs, you may not feel like your body needs the drug, but there's a psychological effect that as a child or as a young adult, you feel that unless you have that pill again today, everyone around you is going to hate you. You're not going to get your homework done and you're going to be singled out. And you know what? I'll just take it. So there's a dependency of a different kind. There's a dependency to function in the world, right? In your little world with the least amount of friction. And yes, it is our job to remove the least amount of friction in a child's life as a parent. But by doing it through medication, we're actually doing them a disservice because that child is eventually going to become dependent. And there are many studies, contrary to what uh, the scientific or the ADHD community likes to point out, that you know, you've heard the term, if your son or your daughter isn't going to get medicated for ADHD, they will later self-medicate. Well, what they're, what they're saying is, well, if you don't put them on meds now to handle this ADHD, then later they're going to do other drugs like marijuana or cocaine or blah, 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 or alcohol, right? Well, there are so many co contrary studies, especially there was a huge study done at Berkeley, uh, I believe in the 90s it was supposed to be um, published by Nadine Lambert, who had followed 30 children uh, into adulthood on Ritalin, and actually pretty much disproven that myth that children who are not medicated for ADHD later in life will self-medicate. It was actually the opposite. Children who were medicated, in this case uh, with Ritalin, ended up having a higher rate of smoking, doing drugs, alcohol, and so forth. So again, we want parents to have the full picture. Now this study, by the way, Nadine Lambert's study, you can Google that, um, never got published. She unfortunately and perhaps mysteriously died in a car accident before she was able to publish that result. I'm not saying there was any any wrongdoing here. It's just a little strange. But, you know, anyway, moving on. So what we're saying here is that to create children who cannot trust their intuition, and I always say this, you know, impulsivity is a good thing. When we're impulsive, we're actually calibrating our intuition. We're learning, right? You have an impulse to do something, you do it and it's wrong. You just learned a lesson. Even if you have to do it a couple of times, maybe you're just a really strong-willed person. You're like, well, I'll try it again. Shit, oh, it didn't work. Okay, uh, one more time, right? Some kids do that. They do that four or five times and you're like, can't you get it in your head that you shouldn't be jumping from that tree, right? But impulsivity is how we calibrate our intuition. And when we tell children not to be impulsive, and let me medicate you so you're less impulsive and you're less, you know, operating on your own doing and you're becoming now what we say compulsory compliance, compliant, right? We are creating a future of people who are going to be so dependent that it actually scares me to think that we will have millions of adults out there who are not listening to their own gut feeling, who can't because it's not been developed, who don't know what it means to go inside and listen, who are just going to listen to the media, the politicians, social media, influencers, so-called experts. And look, not all experts are made from the same wood or cloth, right? I get that. 
But that is, to me, a really, really concerning thought. I said scary, maybe that's a little heavy, but so instead of creating more kids to have compulsory compliance disorder, I think it's really worth looking at what are the real causes of a child's ADHD. And by the way, the cause of ADHD is not the disorder because it would be easy, easy to say, oh, my son has ADHD because, well, he has the thing. It's a disorder. So he has it. That's what causes him to behave that way. That is not the case. There is a cause that causes a child to have certain symptoms, which we then label with the disorder label ADHD. That's very different. I want to point that out. That's a massive difference. I'm not sure if I can say it again like that. You can always rewind, but here, I'm going to try it again. A child doesn't have ADHD because it has a disorder, meaning the disorder isn't the cause of the child's ADHD or the symptoms. Rather, there is a cause that causes the child to show certain symptoms that we then label as the disorder ADHD. That's a huge difference. That is an atom. I happen to need to split again and again for people because it's so easy for someone to say, what are you saying? ADHD is not real. Well, yes, we're saying it's made up. So not that it's not real. It's just made up. Well, that's not true. It does exist. We never said the symptoms don't exist, but we're saying the label is human made. It's made up. If we didn't have any language like speaking or written, spoken or written language, there would be no ADHD. It would just be a child doing what it's doing, and then it would be a parent or educator uh, helping them to remove friction in the environment for them to perhaps be less hyperactive or less worried or less impulsive and so forth. There would be no ADHD. But because we have language, written and spoken, we've created that label. Again, that's a, an atom that I like to split often because people get so bent out of shape. They, when, when somebody says, you know, in a comment or feedback, they say, fuck you, saying ADHD doesn't exist. I know they did not listen to any episodes. Because if you did, if they did, they would get that we're not denying anyone's struggle, right? That we always say the struggle is real. The label doesn't have to be. And we make important and valid points why the label itself isn't actually constructive, but it is destructive. It is not actually empowering a person. It's disempowering. It is not actually leading them to thriving in life. It's hooking them on coping. Why? Because coping is a big business. Thriving, responsibility-empowered thriving could be a business. It's just not a big business yet. So the money is in the coping world. And again, I'm a business person. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with business. I just feel like this, this little snowball of, of helping kids has turned into this avalanche of just milking parents and kids for money and hooking them, them on things that we now know are just not the full truth. Parents, you are not presented with the full the complete narrative when you just Google ADHD or diagnosis on ADHD or treatment, you are not presented with the full, the complete narrative around this disorder. And that's why we do this podcast. And if you're still listening, I want to acknowledge you for your commitment to yourself or your son or a friend or a family member to perhaps be able to shift your perspective around this so-called disorder, that your child is not the problem. The child is not a or the problem. If we can get you to shift the perspective around that so that after that, you can start to heal yourself and then your child with your child, your child will automatically heal when you heal as a parent only then can we as parents 
truly honor the uniqueness of our children. We cannot do that unless we shift our perspective and heal our shit. That said, healing our shit is a lot of work. It is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work. I can tell you because I'm in it right now, myself cleaning up my own childhood trauma, how it's affected my family together with my wife. We are deep in it. It is not pretty work. It is messy as fuck. Messy, 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 messy. But one of my favorite sayings is what's in the way is the way. There is no way around it that will lead to thriving and fulfillment. There is a way around it, you know, medication. There's a way around it, but it does not lead to thriving for a family and leading a fulfilled life. It cannot and will not. And that is why we do this work. That is why I sometimes can't get out of bed or have to cut my walks short when I walk my dog in the morning because I have an idea, a thought, or a guest I need to contact, and I'm like, I need to get back to the computer. This needs to be out in the world right now because I have so many parents reach out to me and they're lost. They're like, we've tried everything. We did this and we did this and, and everything. Most of the things are external. It's always, usually it's 85% external. And I just let them finish and I go, okay, okay. I mean, amazing. What you've done is amazing and you're committed parents and wow. And I, I get the love for their child. I get it. And then I have to be sort of somewhat the bearer of bad news and say, okay, now the real work starts. If you're interested what the real work is, let's go inside. You know, how are you? Where are you at in life? How's your marriage? How are you guys relating to each other? How's your parenting? You know, all this leads back to childhood, transgenerational trauma. And we've, we've talked to Peter Levine and Gabor Mate about this. They all agree. And it's not that like they all agree. It's common. It's not even common. It's not common. That's not true. But scientific studies have proven over and over and over and over and over and over again that how we are parented by our parents is how we autopilot parent. And um, I was talking to Bruce Lipton, and he said that, you know, for example, as a boy, as a young boy, we model and become our fathers and we marry our mothers. And as a young girls, we model and become our mothers and we marry our fathers. And that alone ought to stop people in their tracks and go, holy shit, who am I with? What patterns am I recreating that my mother and father had? I'm recreating that now with my husband or wife. And really dig into it. Really go back there. That's the real work. To just say, oh, that's the past. I'm over it. Whatever. I don't talk to my mom. I don't need to. She's this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. blah. That's not doing the work. That's not doing the work. So again, the work is messy. Healing our shit is messy. But once we get to the other side, and life is obviously a journey. It doesn't end until we die. So yes, it, healing never stops. But once we get through the other side where we can start honoring our children and seeing them for who they are, not, not looking at them as some being who we need to like educate really well and equip with a diploma and send them off to a great, you know, career. And then we can die happy because we know they turned out, turned out meaning they make a lot of money. That's not going to work. That's, that's, that's an illusion. And look, not saying some kids who went to Ivy League schools and chose their careers and don't lead happy lives, but in general, the academic pressure, the anxiety that we put onto our kids already in kindergarten. I know parents in kindergarten are talking about MIT or, or, <laughs> or Harvard or, you know, feeder schools. I mean, the pressure... And, and look, even if your child is, is you don't put that pressure on your child, but they're in class with a child who's like, well, I'm going to go to MIT and I'm getting into this college and da, da, da. I mean, it's just spreading around like a cancer. And that's a big problem in this society. I mean, this, this anxiety around academic performance is literally driving a lot of our kids into 
the hands of psychiatrists and medication. That's a huge culprit. On top of, you know, unhappy marriages and, and abuse and alcoholism and, and dependency and, you know, stressful births and, and unhealed trauma during childhood, all of this is driving our children into the hands of psychiatrists and psychologists. It's just what's happening right now. I mean, you know, I don't have any numbers to give you, any studies on that, but I mean, come on. I mean, you can look that up. Uh, there was a study I had recently where it was like children on uh, psychotic or what do you call it, you know, suppressants or medication for depression, anxiety, eating disorders, ADHD, you name it, all the disorders. The number was insane just in the U.S. And of course, the U.S. is kind of a leader in this. But what was even more insane was actually the fact that a lot of these, that, that the age brackets even went as low as three years old. I mean, when I saw that, I thought it would start at like six or seven. No, at three. And it was like three to six, six to nine, you know, whatever the age brackets were. And I was just like, what the fuck? We are giving three-year-olds medication for anxiety? Why the fuck are they anxious? And if they're anxious, let's find out why and let's remedy that instead of putting them on some chemical, you know, suppressant or some medication that we know we know is not good for a three-year-old. Come on. I mean, look, I've myself uh, tested Ritalin and Adderall and, you know, I wanted to know what it feels like. If I was ever going to give this to my son, I needed to know. So I tested it. I mean, it's potent stuff. It's intense. And I took, I took a quarter of what the average is that most kids get, a quarter. And I'm, at the time, I was like, I think I was 49 or 50. I'm a 50-year-old, 200-pound, pretty healthy guy. And a quarter of what's given to children as young as three or four years old was powerful for me. And by powerful, I don't mean, yay, awesome. I mean, it was intense. I could feel my body like react to the substance. That's my experience. You know, you may have had a different experience, but if you've tried it. But the point here is simple. Before we labor, label our children with a disorder and we sort of break to them the news that they're not normal, that they're broken. I was just talking to a gentleman today who said the same story and he was 15 at the time. But we tell this to our kids as young as five, six, seven years old that, oh, sorry, honey, your brain isn't quite working right and we're going to help you. And, you know, and what they're hearing is like, oh, my brain's broken. And, you know, you're going to be in a, you know, special ed class with other kids. What they're hearing is like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not normal. So we think what we're saying is what they're hearing. That's not what they're hearing. And so by labeling them with a disorder and... I'm just going to have to insert here something, okay? Because all I wanted to say is by labeling them with a disorder and giving them stimulant drugs, we're really, really, really creating them to have a compulsory compliance disorder where they're going to become compliant, you know, productive members of society with no internal reference of self-worth and intuition. And that ain't bueno, to use a little bit of Spanish. That's not cool for the future. But side note here, side note, right? So somebody posted a review and said, oh, well, stop saying disorder is a bad word. Here's the thing, my friend. I guarantee you, if we were to do a man in the street um, experiment, and we would go around and ask people that if they would be okay dating or marrying a disordered person, I don't think we would get very clean and happy. Yeah, no problems. We wouldn't. And you and I know why. When somebody says, I have a disorder, don't fucking tell me that you don't hear broken. And maybe you don't. Maybe you're an elevated human being who's embraced everything and he's totally fine. Good for you. I mean, we're all trying to get there, right? But I guarantee you that 90 plus percent of people would hear broken. And does anyone want to be with a broken person? I don't think so. 
right? Unless you're one of those Mother Teresas or people who work with uh, developmentally challenged kids and you have a huge amount of patience and for you it's a, it's a challenge, it's what you do. I get it. Cool. We love you. Keep doing what you're doing. We definitely need you. But in the meantime, 85, 90% of us, when we hear broken, I mean, sorry, disordered, we hear broken. Let's, let's not, let's not kid, or, kid ourselves around this. And so I'm clear that that person who left that comment, because I had to chuckle, A, didn't listen to our podcast, and B, it's not about disorder. It's not about the word. It's not about the word. It's about the meaning that ADHD, the heaviness that it has, you know, kind of like an avalanche, like I said before, it used to be a snowball of let's help children be less hyperactive or compulsive. Now it's this giant machinery this doomsday meds and disorder and special ed classes and parents struggling and you need a coach and, you know, it's not my fault and it's genetic and it is giant black snowball has turned into, uh, sorry, this little, little white snowball has turned into this black avalanche rolling down a hill towards humanity, right? And it's, we got to stop it. We got to stop it. We have to look at why our children do not feel safe in the world, why they do not feel safe inside of our own families. It is ignorant as parents to think that a pill will correct our child to be less this or that, to feel more safe, to be more calm, to be less him or herself. It is ignorant. It's ignorant, not in a bad way. When you ignore something, you just turn the other way. It doesn't make you a bad person. You're just like, not now. I don't want to look at it. It's cool. I get it. Not everybody's willing to do the work. Not everybody's willing to repair, you know, a marriage or a relationship with their ex-husband or wife. Not everybody's willing to look into their childhood and look at what, what trauma have I not gotten over? Why do I have these patterns in life? Why do I get triggered when my children say this and this? Why do I get angry a lot? Why do I drink? Why do I need to, you know, whatever. You fill in the blank. That's where the answers lie. Inside of that inquiry are all the answers to essentially healing the environment our children grow up in. We are a huge part of their environment. We, the parents, our ways of being, our behaviors, our parenting patterns are a massive amount of their environment. And like we said at the beginning, it is proven in epigenetics that the environment has a huge effect and can turn on and off so-called genes. Not that there is an ADHD gene, because there's not, but even if there was, even if there was, we are in charge. We are not powerless. This is not a genetic doomsday prophecy when you hear, oh, your son has ADHD. No, look at it like a check engine light of the family. Your son is simply saying, I don't feel safe. Something happened. I don't feel safe. I can't relax. And this, this environment has too much friction. That's all they're saying. It's not what they're saying, but you get what I'm saying. That's really where we ought to look. That's the only place that's going to dissolve those symptoms over time that will actually have our children grow up into adults that have a very strong self-worth, that can rely on their intuition to make choices, to move forward step by step in life, to create a life they love, truly become happy and fulfilled. That is what we ultimately want as parents, isn't it? And we're here to say the coping camp ain't going there. The thriving camp is definitely going there. So you choose. Both camps are fine. You know, we're here to support you in your journey wherever you're at. And if you'd like some more information or you have a question, you have an idea for a, for a topic of a podcast or a guest or you want to debate on one of the episodes, which we love doing, please write to us. Go to ADHDisover.com. Write us an email 
Or if you want to hear more about the movement and you want to stay in touch about our documentary uh, that's coming out early uh, 2022, you want to hear about the book we're working on, there's going to be a, uh, for now, a digital uh, speaking tour, eventually, hopefully, a physical tour. Um, write us. Sign up. Put your email on our website. Sign up for, uh, for the newsletters to stay in touch. Um, I want to leave it here today. I want to thank you for your time and your attention that you've given so, so graciously. And, 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 you know, we really appreciate it. If you've listened this far, um, we definitely love you, appreciate you and feel free to, to, uh, share this episode with, uh, family members, friends, loved ones, whoever you think could benefit from this point of view. Again, we are not the right point of view but we are the point of view that is about thriving and it is about fully being responsible for our lives and ultimately being in power, not being powerless and dependent because that is coping. And there is a choice. We do have a choice. We can choose the empowered side. We don't have to be victim to the disempowering side. And all we want is for everyone out there who thinks they have ADHD or who are in this sort of victim mentality of like, I have it and that's it. There's nothing I can do. We want all of them to thrive. So we want all of them to be reached. We want to challenge all of them because we know that ultimately on the other side of this debate is a, is a, it's just a powerful freedom of knowing that I don't have anything that's going to control me. I'm going to control that. I'm in charge here. I say how it goes. And that's creating autonomous, independent people who are going to create a future that's bright and unique and fun, not vanilla, square boxed in, compulsory compliance, you know, productive members of society. Of course, we want to be productive and we want to be part of society, but not in this compliance kind of way. Who does? I don't. Anyway, hey, 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 thanks again. Until next time, this was ADHD's over. Hopefully your favorite podcast. Spread the word. And man, have a great weekend. Have a wonderful life. Trust yourself. Listen to yourself. Stay in power. We need you. Bye-bye.